0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is Coach Spins. Adam Spinella is in the building. But here's the thing. We got a little bit of a different vibe today. This is the first part of a two-part episode uh, for the podcast because I know it's early September, but randomly... There's a lot of draft news happening. I don't know what happened here. It all exploded. A lot of the things that we kind of wanted to talk about just kind of came to fruition over the course of the past week. And this is going to be part one of a part of a two part episode. The first part, we're going to talk about the Scoot Henderson, Victor Wembenyama matchup. We're not going to go crazy in depth on like the race for number one at this point, because I think we might do that next week, but we are going to dive deep like into the mechanics of this matchup, what we're looking for, just kind of things like that. Uh, then the second part of this episode is going to be us breaking down the Mega versus OTE game that occurred with three potential first-round picks, uh, Amon Thompson, Osor Thompson, and Nikola Juricic. Uh, really, really interesting game that uh, I think could end up being one of the most important games that OTE plays this year from an evaluation perspective. So we kind of want to dive deep into that. Then we're going to do a brief mini mailbag at the end of this episode. Part two is going to be us talking about Bronny James uh, and his recruitment uh, you know, it kind of came to a head in terms of the headlines this past week because of the visit to Ohio State. They went to the Ohio State Notre Dame game last weekend, uh, and then some photos came out of Bronny in an Ohio State jersey, things like that. So uh, that kind of came to it. So we want to talk about Bronny's game a little bit and where we are. I'm actually a really big fan of his. I think he's actually like I think he's an underrated prospect based off of where he is currently ranked in recruiting rankings. So we wanted to dive deep into that. And then a gift from the gods, Mark Cuban uh, decided to talk about uh, what he would like to see in the future from the NBA draft. He mentioned a four round NBA draft because uh, two rounds aren't enough when uh, I think that what, like five out of 30 players every year tend to get like real substantial second contracts in the second round. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about um, the mechanics that we'd like to see employed. If the draft continues to be, uh, if the draft is expanded, if the draft uh, isn't expanded, just what we'd like to see in general from the future of the 2023 and beyond NBA draft. And then finally we'll take some mailbag questions again at the end of that one. Cause we got a lot of really good ones. We got 20 mailbag questions already and we just put out the clarion call like what you know 10 minutes ago something like that so spins with all that being said all of those three minutes that people will never be able to get back in their lives what's going on buddy how are you hey hey
1: sam i'm i'm great you know this is what could be better than having two parts of of a podcast to record with you here and all the things that are going on in september i think gift from the gods is absolutely the right way to describe all of this here because this is really the the pulling teeth time to try to find things to talk about in draft circles and make sure that we are uh we are doing actual work and it found us this week where we have a lot of things that we can be able to talk about let alone some exciting uh exciting topics that also have to do with watching film uh which is yeah. my specialty and favorite thing to do so Glad to be back on here. Uh, great weekend here in the states for me. Got to an Orioles game yesterday, but <laughs> let's uh, let's talk hoops with man. your dad. That's amazing. With, with my dad, first time to Camden Yards for him, and uh, and it was a great experience here. They got shellacked by the Red Sox, which you know is what it is there. As a Yankees fan, like I don't know how to react. To this part of September, where I'm actually rooting for the Red Sox, <laughs> but uh, fun experience, really good weekend, and just just good to get a little bit of time with him before uh, again before the chaos of the
0: draft season and, and basketball
1: season starts up.
0: So the because I know the Penny still listens to this, the question that I'm going to have to ask as a follow up there is: You grew up in Boston. How did the Yankees? Become your team as opposed to the Red Sox?
1: Yeah. So, a uh, quick kind of backstory here from the New England area. Dad grew up in Northern Jersey. So, diehard yeah, Yankees fan it. for him. Yeah. And growing up in the 90s with that, that Yankees dynasty there, there was one thing that was required of me in order to have a roof over my head, and that was to, you know, wear pinstripes. <laughs> so, uh, not a Red Sox fan. I do like Celtics and Bruins. Uh, don't talk about the football alliances and stuff because that's uh, my, my allegiances there are, they don't make much sense. But other than that, uh, Yankees for baseball, Boston for pretty much everything else.
0: And to quote a former Boston college coach, one thing you mentioned earlier, just what's better than this guys being dudes. You you gotta just embrace (laughs) all of this fun stuff that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, But unfortunately we have to start on a bit of somber note because uh someone that i consider a friend uh i don't know how much you've gotten to meet him in the past uh john charks who worked at the ringer he passed away over the weekend john had a long battle with it seemed like a very rare form of cancer and uh just incredibly sad john is one of the most genuine nicest kindest people you will meet in the basketball industry he was genuinely curious like you you can tell when you meet some people in the basketball industry when you start going to events and things like that you can tell when someone is transactional and trying to build a relationship with you based off of mutual benefit versus someone who's just like curious about you and someone who's intellectually curious about learning about different things in their life and someone that uh just wants to have a good conversation and just have a have, have a real uh connection with someone uh and john was definitely the latter john is a john was an absolutely terrific terrific person and it's incredibly sad that uh you know we're not going to get to see him out on the basketball trail it's incredibly sad that his family uh, i know that he had a very young son uh jackson uh, that his family is not gonna get to grow old with him uh, his wife's posts on Caringbridge have just been absolutely devastating in so many ways so um rest in peace to John sharks uh, I don't know how much interaction that you've had with John but he's uh yeah he he's genuinely he was an absolutely terrific person
1: yeah not not a ton of interaction that he and I had but you know I was always raised to believe that uh, you're your life has value, not by what you collect, but by how many lives you touch. And I think that one thing that I've been able to notice over the last several weeks and months, uh, is just how many people have been profoundly impacted by a guy like John. So, uh, certainly will be missed in so many respects. Uh, now my heart hurts for, for his family, like you said, but also all those who, who were close with him and shared a really, really meaningful bond. So, um, uh, glad we started out the podcast yeah. this way.
0: Yeah. And look, like, I think I'm one of the people who, like, did not have, you know, as close of a bond with John as many did. But even just the, you know, five or six times a year that, you know, we would talk or, you know, talk on a podcast, you know, that we have done occasionally here and there or see each other uh, out in, you know, out at basketball events or, uh, you know, just get on the phone or shoot each other a text. I mean, I'm far from the person most affected by this, not even remotely close. He has so many friends um, that I'm sure are devastated right now, but even, even those little moments that I had with him just are really impactful. He is a, he, he was an absolutely terrific, uh, terrific person is, as, as you can see, like by the fact that I'm using uh you know, present language as opposed to past language, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that, uh, John, who I think is, was around my age, uh, his, his past. Yeah. It, it's really devastating, uh, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, there's not an easy way to transition out of this. Uh, it, but we're going to talk about basketball now and, uh, the thing that I think got the most publicity from a draft perspective over the course of the last week or two uh, is that there's going to be a game in early October, two games, actually, featuring Scoot Henderson and Victor Wambinyama. Uh, I believe that the way this is going to work functionally is that Metropolitan's ninety two who is Victor Wembanyama's new team that he joined this summer uh, featuring Hugo Basson and they've signed a few other uh, guards and wings to play with that team that have like passing nba interest but more uh more like euro euro league euro cup uh level uh but vic went down from the euro league to play with a team that is going to play in the french league this year and i think that caught a lot of people by surprise but i I think that as we're going to talk about here it might end up being kind of a smart move for him Um, they're going to play the g league ignite in vegas Uh, they're going to travel over to las vegas and play these games and it's Look, it's the biggest scouting game of the year. It's the two biggest scouting games of the 2023 NBA draft cycle, and they're going to happen in October. Uh, every relevant NBA scout of a team that is at the top of the draft or figures to be at the top of the draft will be there. Uh, I would imagine a lot of GMs will be there, and that is very rare for a game in October. Uh when you saw the news that this was coming, which was first reported by Raphael Barlow, uh, then confirmed by Jonathan Gavoni, uh, what was your immediate reaction to all of this? Uh,
1: I thought it was a great move for both sides to be able to do. You know, I am a big proponent of embracing the challenge and not trying to hide away mm-hmm. from the highest level of competition that you can find. And if you're Scoot and Victor and you're standing head and shoulders above the rest of the draft cycle right now, this is what you love to see, guys who are going head-to-head. Yeah. I mean, not, not going to guard each other by any means, but certainly their teams and their programs doing so. I think it's important for the uh, for the G League Ignite to be able to add things like this where they can play international schedules or, or you know, scrimmage and have exhibitions with different teams because it gives scouts a chance to see what some of these younger guys look like against maybe some of their own contemporaries as opposed to, other grown men in you know the the G League that are fighting for NBA contracts and have been pros for a few years. Not to say that Metropolitan doesn't have that as well, but I think the, the level of talent that you'll find on this team with Victor, with all the guys around him, is going to be a little bit more level of a playing field for some of these guys right off the bat. Uh, I did a little bit of research, Sam, because I was thinking about the last time two highly touted prospects like this who were seen as the preseason one and two favorites with a large gap between everybody else. When was the last time they really went head to head and, and who were some of those guys? So, I mean, my first thought went back to Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. Didn't end up happening all the way back then. Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz were in the same conference as each other and they went one and two, but I wouldn't, I don't think that that was as high profile of a matchup, let alone were those two guys, the slam dunks to go in those spots even at that point in the year. But the Wiggins and Parker uh, draft cycle of 2014, those two guys actually played in, in an early season game in November. That was Champions Classic, if yeah. I remember correctly. Champions Classic, Kansas and Duke, and both performed really well. Andrew Wiggins had 22 points, uh, 9 of 15 from the field and eight boards. Jabari, 27, 9 of 18 from the field and nine boards. So it, it's very possible that all that this event does is cement these two as the clear one and two in this draft class, and if that alone is going to be really valuable, let alone yeah. if you know if, if Scoop finds a way to impress people more than Victor does, I think just having these two go and embrace the competition, have two games against uh, probably the the best comparison competition that they'll find in this draft cycle, really meaningful for everybody involved
0: yeah and you know thinking of that game that occurred in 2013 2012 2013 yeah what year was that 2013 yeah yeah, because the 2014 draft cycle um by that point a lot of scouts kind of underneath the surface had also realized and recognized that Joel Embiid was going to be something in the ballpark of at least a top seven pick um you know could be A top three pick, like you'd heard the, you had heard the rumors, like, you know, he has the highest ceiling of any player in this class. But I think that there was a bit of skepticism at that point, just because not enough people had quite seen him yet, but you know, they'd kind of gotten eyes on him early in the process, uh, you know, early in his career at Kansas and, you know, the, the rumors and the hype was building in, in a pretty substantial way at that point for Joel. Uh, this game doesn't necessarily have that, but I will say, Uh, The Metropolitan's 92 roster does have, you know, Tremont Waters. They have Devontae Jones, the former point guard at Michigan. They have uh, Aaron Henry is on this roster. They have uh, who who else? They have have Hugo Besson as well. Uh, It's going to be a really, really fun game in my opinion to kind of be able to run through and really dive into I, th- like the, i think they might even have like a couple other like older vets as well on this team mm-hmm. um th- that is going to be it's going to be really really fun like the this metropolitan's 92 team uh i, I would think that they're probably the favorite to win This game to be honest uh just given you know tremont waters has had an incredible amount of success in the g league already aaron henry had a little bit less success but like there have been guys that have had a lot of success in the g league already that are playing for this team plus they have vic vic is you know in a really interesting position is there anything that we're looking for in terms of scouting insights from this game particularly uh let's start with victor because i think that Um, again, we're going to dive deep into like the race from number for number one, heading into this game. And we're going to dive deep into like the race for number one, exiting this game, uh, these games as they happen. But, you know, just kind of heading in as we preview this, is there anything that you're looking for specifically for Victor Wembanyama to prove in this game?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily to prove, but I just want to see it all on display. I mean, he shows such yeah. tantalizing flashes for a guy that, you know, didn't shoot. I, I think he might have been right around 30%, if not slightly below, from three last year. Like, I want to see him drill a yep. couple threes. I want to see him handle block shots, rebound, isolate in the mid post and make plays, be in the dunker spot and, and grab an offensive rebound or two or catch a lob. Like, just let's see it all on display. If this tour, and, and let's let's be realistic here. The reason the Metropolitans are doing this is because they have a player like Victor Weminyama, and they want to put him on display. If that's the purpose of this tour, then let's just see it all. Let's make sure that, that when we get here, scouts need to walk away from three days in Vegas and two games and say, this guy has the potential to do literally everything on the basketball floor. We've seen it in small flashes. This is the one chance to do it in front of everybody in person. I just want to see the full display, the full spread out there. It doesn't matter if he makes every shot, if he's the most dominant player on the floor every single minute, but let's just see everything that he can do.
0: Yeah. I I would like to see when he played for Osvell last year, his role offensively was just not very similar to what we would see him be utilized as in the NBA. And I would like to see a more pick and roll heavy approach from Metropolitans 92. And frankly, like given the players that they've signed uh, at the point guard position, it seems like that's kind of the way that they're going to go. Like Tremont Waters is like a maestro in ball screens. That is what he does. So I, I would like to see like Victor Wimbanyama shot, what was it? Like 30, 35% or something like that from the field in Euroleague play last year. Like it wasn't just even from three that he was a low percentage shooter. And it's because he didn't get a ton of opportunities for easy baskets around the rim. Uh, I would like to see how adept he is as a roller uh, more consistently. I would like to see uh, him in space, like getting opportunities to maybe take guys off the bounce. I would like to see some of the pull-up threat that, you know, we see on tape from time to time, but isn't really a consistent thing at this point. I would like to see just generally where his feel is offensively. Uh, I think that there is some, there's some degree of question there is what I would say. And I think that, you know, I mentioned this on the athletic NBA show that I did with Andrew Schlecht and uh, Alex Spears, you know, maybe two weeks ago, but it seems like everyone is kind of, I don't want to say acting like this is a done deal that Vic is the number one pick. And I think that if the draft was held on, you know, September 12th, 2022, it would be a done deal. And Victor Wimbanyama would go number one in the class, but what's going to happen. September 12th, 2022 is not necessarily equivalent to what could happen in the future on June 25th, whenever the 2023 draft is. And I, I, Think that Scoot has a very real opportunity, especially in this game, to catch him. And I think there is a real chance for that to happen. I would love to see Victor Wembanyama, uh, and his defensive ability. I think this is a fantastic test of the offense defense of Scoot versus Vic, because I'd imagine you're going to see a lot of drop coverage where Victor Wembanyama's length and his seven foot four height, seven foot five height, something like that, uh, his eight foot wingspan these things are going to warp the trajectory of the court in a real way that you know scoot henderson has probably not seen before so watching scoot maybe try to process that a little bit in a real way try to figure out how to score around him try to figure out maybe how to go into his body and draw a foul um you know you mentioned that they're not going to be matching up directly on one another the offense defense of scoot on offense versus Vic on defense, given the way Scoot's game is right now in terms of like driving toward the basket, either playing for a floater or a finish at the basket or a kickout, it is, I don't want to say a direct matchup, but it, it's a critical like data point that we're going to be able to evaluate in both of these guys, because I would love to see Vic against a nuclear athlete like Scoot and see how he plays his angles, you know. Again, he's so long that he has so much, you know, margin for error on these angles, even against the fastest NBA guys. But I do think that um, Scoot has a real chance here to like really, really push himself into a different stratosphere uh, as a prospect. This, these are going to be incredibly high-profile games. They're going to be on ESPN, and I am I am so fascinated to see what this looks like. Uh, th- there are. Anyone that says they know what it's gonna look like, I think is lying to themselves in some way.
1: I am I'm excited for Scoot, you know, to have the opportunity yeah. to be, to be able to move up and, and chase a guy like Vic. I think last year was a suboptimal situation for Scoot with the Ignite, playing alongside a guy like Jaden Hardy with Dyson Daniels, just the lack of consistent floor spacing they had on that team you'd think that they might have addressed that a little bit this year. You know, Leonard Miller, uh, in theory, uh, a decent shooter. I think having a, a pick-and-pop big man there, like
0: there may, might be... I'm skeptical of that for what it's worth, but for sure. I think F.A. Abigidi has potential to yes. be a pick-and-pop guy this year. Um, yep. Leonard, I think, it, I think Leonard has real shooting upside long-term. I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. The,
1: the point is there's at least more shooting than there was last year. And I think there's yep. also that secondary ball handler in Sissoko who can take off a little bit of the pressure for him. This should be a team that thrives in transition. They can play with a little bit more length on the front court and in the wings in ways that can insulate scoot on the defensive end a little more than they could last year. This team was a lot more intentionally built around his strengths. I think that year two of him in the system of, of understanding what they're trying to accomplish with those additions everything's set up in his favor, not just for this year to be great, but I think for these two games against Metropolitans to really allow him to take off running.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that this is going to be, um, like I said, this is the biggest scouting game of the year. Like I, I really had questions about whether or not I should come back to the United States for it. Um, I, am, uh, I am really excited to see the way that this goes. Uh, I think it could go a number of different ways though. Which is why, uh, why it's exciting. And, and is there anyone else we want to talk about within this game? So you mentioned City Sissoko. Like I, I think City is a guy. The more I've watched, I probably would have him like near the end of the first round right now mm-hmm. as a prospect. Uh, I think I had him in the second round to start, but uh, I would probably push him a little bit higher after seeing the summer he had with France. Um, where are you on Sissoko? It feels like there could be real potential for him to showcase himself in a matchup against Aaron Henry, a guy that yes. has played in the G League, was a high-level defender at Michigan State. Um, th- this could be even a really high-level showcase matchup for him as well.
1: Right, that, That's exactly where I was thinking, that, that the matchup with Aaron Henry, a really dynamic lateral defender who can play physically and get into the ball, that's the type of player that Soko needs to be able to counter a little bit. You know, his game right now is built as more of a Swiss Army knife driver, like really good in transition, fantastic passer with a a creative verve that allows him to get into the lane. I want to see the jumper continue to progress. It seems like he's made some strides there, which is why I have him in the same range that you do. That kind of late first, early second bubble is where I I keep placing him at this point in time. The upside is is through the roof, and if he can handle – Good physical defenders who, uh, you know, let's be honest, game two of this whole series between these two teams is going to be really fascinating to watch to see who adjusts to what. And for a lot of the younger guys like Sissoko who have maybe an unorthodox game, I want to see if the defense of metropolitans maybe stays a step ahead of him. I want to see how he reacts to the way that he's guarded in game one if he's sagged off a little bit more on the perimeter what is he doing in game two to adjust to this? This is like a mini playoff series where scouts and general managers can look at the cumulative effect of a whole weekend and see what changes were made. How do they process the game? How do they put into action what they've gone over on scouting reports and film from the day before? And you know whether that benefits Sissoko more than anybody else, I'm not really sure. But that's just a super fascinating matchup against a guy like Aaron Henry.
0: Yeah, and you know, you brought up Leonard Miller earlier. I think this is an important set of games for Leonard Miller, if only because the last time we saw Leonard Miller was not very good. Yeah. Uh at the combine, he really struggled to make an impact in those games. I, I would like to see some growth at the end of the day. Like I-, I don't even know that he needs to play exceptionally well or anything like that, but I would like to see him make an impact on the court whenever he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Be, like that's, that's ultimately the biggest thing for him this year because scoot is going to have the ball a lot. He'll have the ball. Some I would think, I mean, he is a really high level uh ball handler for a guy that's six foot 10 can make some passing reads at a high level, but I I would like to see more of his ability when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and his ability to make an impact in that way. And it's something he just hasn't been asked to do before. Like, it's not like, you know, I I think that it probably was a lot to put on his shoulders very quickly at the combine, but I do think that uh, we need to see some, level of growth there from him in terms of ability to make an impact when he doesn't have the ball in his hands.
1: And I think it's going to be a longer process for a guy like Miller uh, than it is for some of these other prospects, just because there's a lot yeah. of small details and things to clean up. Like I know when you and I talked about the combine stuff a couple months ago, for me, it was footwork. It was how shot prep ready he is when he's playing off the ball and and just kind of ball begging in a lot of different ways. If he doesn't have it, he tends to stand gravitate and try to go get it as opposed to making the next cut, staying patient in the corners and letting somebody else have their, their
0: its habits as much as anything. Like it's not, it's not like he, you know, is isn't like I've been told like from people that have been around him and trained him that like, he's like very coachable and is like Mm -hmm. a really good kid. It's not, it's not anything like that. It's more that it's just habit. Like he's always been the guy who's had the ball in his hands. So Mm -hmm. it's, Going to take some time for him, I think, to adjust out of being that guy. But I think he does need that skill at the end of the day to complement the ability to have the ball in your hands as a guy that's six foot ten. No so doubt, with like the, the guy that stands out to me in this regard is Jaden McDaniel's, right? Mm-hmm. Like, think about the way Jaden McDaniel's came up. Uh, he really was an on-ball, like dynamic scorer in high school. Like that was his role, and then he goes to Washington, struggles for a year at Washington. Doesn't really have success playing off the ball except as a defender, you know, shooting passing lanes from the corner of that 2 3 zone at Washington. But at the end of the day, that experience really helped him when he got to the NBA because he was ready to defend from the jump. He was ready to make an impact without the ball in his hands. And I think that that's kind of what we're going to see, hopefully, from Leonard Miller as he adjusts to more of a role off the ball than what he's experienced in the past.
1: And, and those habits take a long time to build. I, I think that that's something that gets often underrated. It's not that he can't do it, it's not that he isn't willing to do it. It's just it takes time to fight that urge when you're down three with two and a half minutes to go to just sprint to the ball, get it, and feel like the burden is still on you to make that play. You know, that's sometimes the right. blessing and the curse of playing with a guy like Scoot Henderson. He can take that burden off of you, which sometimes is beneficial but also forces you to change the way that you play fundamentally. So for me, I have longer term expectations for Miller trying to figure out. I don't think I'm setting the bar too high for how he's going to look in these early October exhibition games, but certainly if he can add that skill and demonstrate it by the end of the G league season, he's going to put himself in firm first round contention.
0: Yeah. I think you're right about that's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. Um, And then the last guy that you listed here was F.A. Abigidi. Uh, This is a critical game for FA because he's going to probably draw a big portion of the Victor Wembanyama assignment. And FA is a guy that is in an interesting position draft-wise because I I frankly remain a little bit skeptical that he will be picked just simply based on... The fact that he's had multiple significant knee injuries in his past. These have been publicly reported. Um, you know, his has really struggled. Uh and then last year at Washington State seemingly was on like a bit of a minutes limit uh for a portion of the season. Uh just in terms of like keeping his, you know, especially early on, keeping his um keeping his minutes down just to keep him healthy throughout the course of the season. Uh, It only gets harder as you move up to the NBA and have to play 82 games as opposed to 30 games, right? And two times a week as opposed to four times a week. So I remain a bit worried about FA in that regard, but I'm also tantalized by the skill because I think he is a very real shot blocker. I think he's a very real, a uh, potential shooter long-term he's a impactful defender uh kind of across the board he, he's a he's a really interesting prospect if the knees can hold up long term I, I just i know the way these things go pre-draft and it, I, I think that it's going to be a bit hard um to get teams to like totally sign off but i haven't seen the medical reports and you know fa should absolutely roll a, as if things are going to be fine it's just i think the medical history is going to be a problem it's some of the medical stuff is a concern. I
1: always had a, a big concern with how often he fouls on the defensive end for a guy who's you know a rim protector and is going to be attacked a lot. I think his two mm. years at, at Washington State, he averaged like four and a half fouls per 40 minutes. Just just rather foul-prone in a lot of ways, prevented him from playing big minutes, whether it was the injury or just his ability to take himself off the court in that regard. In a matchup yep. against Victor Weminyama, that's going to be really important. Can he stay out yep. of foul trouble? Can he make sure that he's the guy that isn't baited into leaving his feet to try to block shots that, let's be honest, Victor Wemenyama in an eight-foot wingspan, like, you're not blocking his hook shot. You're probably not getting up to the rim and challenging him and meeting him there. If he can do it, uh, unbelievable highlight, but is it worth the two, three fouls that you may pick up in the process of trying to do so? For me... Yep. I want to see the shooting progression. We talk a lot about his shooting potential. You've mentioned it twice now already. To me, potential just means he ain't done shit yet. And <laughs> I mean, he had. Two I love years, it.
0: Let's go. He,
1: he had two years at Washington State, where everything that I've been saying about him since the moment he got on campus as a freshman was, I'd love to see him as a pick and pop guy. Two yeah. years there, he's around twenty five percent from three. Well, if we're talking about how important it is for Scoot. To be able to play out of the pick and roll and try to attack a guy like Wembin Yama and how good Scoot is from 15 feet and in, a pick and pop pop partner at the top of the key helps open the floor up for a guy like Scoot so much. So I want to see how he does on the offensive end, knowing that Victor's probably going to hang back, try to protect the rim because of how quick Scoot is. He can get a guy like that open shots. Can he knock down one or two of these over the course of a couple games and really restore my confidence in that jumper turning from potential into something realized?
0: Yep. No, I think those are all really good points, but let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to jump into Mega versus OTE. Okay, we're back. Uh, Adam, when did you watch this Mega versus OTE game? Because what, it it occurred like September 5th, something like that, September 6th? Something like that. I'm
1: not really good with dates anymore. I watched it, so we're recording this Sunday, the 11th. I watched it half last night and then half this morning.
0: Yeah, so I caught it like two hours before we started recording today. Um, It. OTE just did a rather large, larger, long European trip, uh, where they played a few different teams. They played, uh, l- let's see here, uh, CB Cornella. They played, uh, Girona. They played Monreza. Um. And then they played Mega, and I think they might have had another game in there somewhere. The only game that Adam and I had access to was the game against Mega, which, frankly, is the most important game, which is really valuable, because Mega has a prospect named Nikola Juricic. Uh, they also have a couple of other guys that, you know, have some interest, I would say, in terms of being draft prospect. Uh, Andrea Gerbovich, uh, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, he is the guy that won the, uh, junior Adriatic League MVP last year. He's kind of like a six, nine floor spacer that has some athleticism, you know, probably not a 2023 prospect, but someone that is at least on the radar. Uh, you know, Malcolm Casalone is a guy that has had some interest in the past from NBA teams, six foot six wing. Uh, you know, but obviously Nikola Juricic is the guy that's a potential 2023 first round pick and Anytime that you get a game like that featuring someone like Jurisic against the Thompson Twins and against like real high-level NBA athleticism, it's a great game to evaluate. And any ch- Anytime you get a game where the Thompson Twins are going to be forced in many ways, uh, just via rules uh, with overseas basketball, to showcase their skill. Uh, in substantial ways. It's going to be a fascinating evaluation context. I think this has a real chance to be the most important game from an evaluation perspective that we see from the Thompson Twins this year. Uh, let's start with this, Adam. What was your overall takeaway on everything that you saw from this mega OTE game that mega won, I believe, 91 to 87
1: so watching the game back was a really close game, and down the stretch, you know, OTE made a couple mental mistakes, had a turnover late, like just the the inability to close that gap, even though they were really in the game. And I think had the lead with about four or five minutes to go. Uh, it's a great contrast of styles, and I'm thrilled to see OTE making the the scheduling uh, effort to get over here and play European teams. I'd love to see more access to film. I understand with you know, preseasons, and this is essentially training camp for a lot of these European clubs, that it's harder to be able to to publish and, and post those games willingly uh, from from their side of things. But for for overtime elite, unbelievable ability for those young guys to be able to hang with a, a, a good, a really good pro team. Uh, the, the skill and athleticism, transparency and kind of dichotomy between those two was fascinating. You know, I think both Thompson twins as well as some of the other OTE guys were able to showcase their athleticism, play a lot in the open floor, but they also made a couple mental mistakes on whether it's on the defensive end, over penetrating sometimes with turnovers. And I thought Mega did a nice job early of leaking out and, and beating them in transition, just to get some easy points on the board and say, You're gonna try to drive it down our throats and attack the rim nonstop. Yeah. We'll have some interior defense. We'll rebound and we'll just go because you're not keeping anybody back. So it was a really, you know, sloppy game at, at times. Uh, I think there are a, a fair amount of turnovers on both ends of the floor. But on the same token, I was actually impressed by overtime elite as a whole with how they spaced the floor, with how they were able to attack things. They they looked like a competent pro team out there, which for me is important to take away from an event like this so that I know how to evaluate them on their schedule for the rest of the year, which is still something all of us scouts are trying to figure out on the fly. is is what are, is the meaning of these games from a scouting standpoint, how much can you take away from the teams that they're facing?
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Adam. Uh, This was a great evaluation context for OTE and the fact that they held up pretty well uh, in a different way. Like, look, there are portions of this game where it felt like OTE just kind of overwhelmed some of the guys on Mega athletically. Uh look, Amon and Asor Thompson are gonna overwhelm any league outside of the NBA athletically. Uh just point blank, they would overwhelm college teams athletically easily. They they are so explosive and twitchy in Amund's case and and very long. And they're just going to absolutely cause problems for any team mega, you know, like a lot of European teams, not like loaded with crazy athletes, right. Not on that level at the very least. And we saw some of it with Nikola Juricic who had six turnovers in this game. Like there were moments where he, um, I don't know if he struggled with the length as much as like his teammates did. Like I thought some of those turnovers were unlucky where like he got charged with it, but really like he hit his teammate in the hands and then the guy dropped it like out of his hands kind of thing. Um, Cause he like the thing about Jurisic is that, like his IQ is very high and you can see that he's like kind of the gears are turning at such a high speed against that kind of athleticism. When you're faced with that athleticism, your mind is pressured. Right. And you're forced into harder and quicker decisions. And it felt like he adjusted to it in a way that some of his teammates may not have. And he got a little bit unlucky and they won the game at the end of the day. That's the important thing. But I'll start with this. Who did you think? I don't want to say who was the most impressive prospect. I, w- I want to say this. Who did you think was the most impressive player in that game? Who do you think stood out the most out of those three players?
1: I'm going to have to go with Amen Thompson as the guy that okay. stood out the most to me. Uh, it, you know, the the stats were pretty impressive. I mean, 18, 10, and 9 from what I saw. I think Gavoni put a tweet out there with a lot yeah. of the final stats from the game. 18 points, 10 boards, 9 assists, uh, 5 steals, 4 blocks. An absolute stat sheet stuffing performance. And uh, look, the, the film that I watched, I don't know if it was the same for you, very dark, you know, with the gray OTE jerseys and black lettering. Like I'm staring at the screen trying to figure out exactly who is who. Sometimes you, you oh, start. The, to...
0: the hard, the harder one was the mega jerseys. because They were yeah. in bright pink with like a, like yellow slash gold lettering. So like yeah. it was kind of hard to even tell. Like I was like squinting, trying to find Nikola Juricic sometimes because the thing with mega is they have a lot of like, you know, six foot eight white dudes out there at the yeah. same time. Yep. So, I mean, there were a lot of pause, rewind, pause,
1: rewind, who am I actually watching here moments on the film. But it's clear when Amen gets in gear that you know who he is at all times. Uh, Just the the shiftiness, the ability to separate. I know he had 18 points, 8 of 8 from the free throw line, a huge improvement and a great development for him. He left some points on the board too, just by missing a couple bunnies and layups out there. You know, yeah, he got he maybe one or two and ones that he should have converted that ended up just getting him two free throws. There were a couple things with, you know, I think he's still too right-hand dominant near the rim. If he'd used his left, he might've been able to get a finish, but I mean, really just an impressive, uh, overwhelming, I think is the term that you used, an athlete out there who's goes from stop to start whenever he wants. I got to give some credit to the OTE coaching staff for, you know, having as many, I don't want to say non-shooters, but guys who are spacingly challenged on the floor as OTE had, they were able to clear out the paint a fair deal and give straight line drives where there wasn't help side defense waiting for those drivers there. And that's where Amen really, really thrived. I was just, you know, the skill was there, a ton of great passes, but his athleticism is, is like you said, going to stand out on pretty much any floor he's on.
0: So you brought up, like, as much as anything, the scoring and the defensive ability. Uh, I, I was really impressed with Amund's defense. I'm always very, yeah. very impressed with both of the Thompson Twins defensively. I think they really give a ton of effort. Obviously, like, they functionally get the most out of their athleticism defensively. Like, they have some mechanical things to clean up, you know, like any teenager does. Everything like that, right? But they utilize their athleticism and motor combination at a really, really high intersection point. And it's really, really valuable that they're able to do that. Now, in the case of who the most impressive player was, I agree with you that it was Amon, but like you briefly brought up the passing. The passing was the most impressive part to me as it always is with him. Uh, It always showcases itself against OTE level talent, which I think that where you see the drop off with OTE is like the mid tier players and lower last year. Um, it felt like Amon could kind of do whatever he wanted, especially as like a passer playmaker, like hitting, dishing guys out, hitting cross corner kickouts, everything like that for him to do what he did as a passer against mega, which has like a relatively high level of, togetherness defensively comparatively to what they've shown in the past or to what you know Amin may have seen in the past I thought that was what was most impressive to me Uh, his ability to read defenses process things on the fly at a really high level and make passing reads it was absolutely awesome he was Terrific in so many ways, uh, as a passer and playmaker, he's great out in transition as he always is, and he creates so many transition opportunities because of that intersection of motor and athleticism on the defensive end. Uh, he gets steals, obviously block shots. Yeah, Amon Thompson was terrific. I will say, I thought the second most impressive prospect was Jurisich Jurisich. in yep. this yep, yep, totally. And agree. part of it was, look, they they would have Juricic come up from the corner, maybe hit like a quick little Iverson cut, maybe something like that, where like he was getting the ball, you know, from the point guard coming across the play on the wing. Right. And then he would go to work in ball screens or he'd go to work uh, as a playmaker in isolation situations. They gave him a lot of runway to be able to do things, but he was very impressive in being able to make those reads on the fly. His shooting touch is absolutely terrific. I think Uh, he can really, really shoot at a high level. Uh, I know that the percentages don't always indicate that with him, but the shot looks pretty clean. And I think he's going to be able to hit shots based off of the touch. Uh, His, Rhythm throughout the shot is really good. Uh, He makes them on the move at a really, really high level, both on pull ups and off of the catch. I think he's going to be able to shoot. And then you look at like the dribble pass shoot ability. He also had six assists in this game. And I thought he made some really high level, quick twitch passing reads. Like he hit one out in transition where someone kind of hit him right at the basket and he threw like a no look behind the back shovel pass almost to his big and the big scored. Like there, there was just a lot of really high level quick twitch, quick reaction plays that Nikola Juricic brought to the table in this game. It was the
1: IQ that really caught me, Sam. Obviously, he you know he drilled a bunch of shots, didn't miss a three pointer, had some really tough long twos that he was able to get off, and he banked one of them in. Like it was, there's maybe a little bit of luck involved in some regard.
0: And then another one of the threes was like final seconds of the shot yeah. clock. He just like kind of chucked it up without even like a follow through, and the ball miraculously went through.
1: Yeah, he caught it above his head and just kept it there because he didn't have yeah. time to to really bring it down and get into his normal motion. So a, a little bit of luck involved in that, but it was everything else that stood out to me for Juricic. Uh, you know, they were using, like you said, Iverson cuts a lot of zipper actions to try to get him open. I'll talk about my concern with that in a moment, but he noticed in the first half that guys were starting to cheat on those a little bit, go underneath them try to play him a little bit more physically and beat him to the spot. So he popped one back early in the second half. It comes up a zipper cut on, I think, the left side of the floor. Pops back to that wing and catches and shoots. Drills one while Thompson, I think it was a sore, was coming to try to contest that jumper right in front of him. Just drills it right in his face. High IQ reads to know how to get open, when to break off of sets and actions. Uh, now the the scary part to me with a lot of that stuff athleticism and, and just separation one-on-one has been a bit of yeah. a concern for a guy like Juricic. And what I continued to see is he looks a little bit quicker. He looks like he's able to play at multiple speeds and, and change his pace off the bounce. He attacked the basket a little more than I thought he did in, in the last times I saw him last year. Because we got a good look at Juricic during last year's draft cycle with how much we lo- we watched uh, Jovic playing as yep. his teammate. My big thing with Juricic is he's somewhat reliant on screening actions on playbooks in order to get himself open one-on-one for touches. He needs some of those creation advantages created for him as opposed to being being able to do it himself. And at 6-8, this was a a really good test for how is he going to react to both athleticism and length, which likely is going to be what guards him at the next level. So I thought he did okay as a playmaker. Obviously, six turnovers you mentioned, not all of them his fault. But I I was a little bit concerned by the fact that you know, when the Thompson twins were getting into him, when OTE was trying to pressure him a little bit more, he just needed a lot of screening action and ways to get him open. And he usually caught it with his back to the basket where he'd then have to slow down, turn, face, pivot, and then create from a standstill there
0: yeah and a lot of it was that like above the break as well like it wasn't we're not talking about like mid post opportunities we're talking about like him catching you know coming off of a dribble handoff maybe coming off of that zipper action and like just turning facing and then maybe waiting for a ball screen right uh he had some high level shot making moments he had some high level passing moments i do worry about the ability to separate but when you're that smart and you're that big, like he is six foot eight, like he looks every bit of like six, seven, six foot eight out there. And when you're that big, it gives you like a pretty distinct advantage. As long as he's like a 38% three point shooter, I do think he's an NBA prospect that is like a real, real high level playmaker potentially. Cause he's very creative off the bounce as well. Like his ability to make decisions, make plays. It's pretty tough. Like he, he's really, really good with it. Um, I will say he's probably going to end up like in the 20 range for me to start the year. I think I had him at like 32 preseason. I would say he's probably going to end up more in the 20 range for me. Um, what about you in terms of what you're thinking? I
1: have him 15 right now. Uh, again, big fan of the shot making. I, I have bought into that for a long period of time because his mechanics are so pure. He is a guy that can come off screens. And at 6'8", if you have size, playmaking feel, and you can shoot it, you're a really good offensive piece. I think that we've seen that time yeah. and time again. And I think that there's a little bit of a ledge when we get after like the 12, 13, 14 spots, just where I'm at on my board right now. So, I would would probably open with Jurisic right there.
0: Okay. So, let's go to Asor Thompson, who, again, played well, had 18 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, uh, was very, very solid in this game. Like, didn't quite have the defensive, like, box score impact that Amon did, but I thought he played pretty well on defense, to be honest. Like, you you mentioned a plane here that I'll kind of bring up to you in our Google Doc that uh, I thought was incredibly impressive from Asor. So, yeah, no, I, I, I thought a sore played well, but this game did bring some of the concerns to the forefront with a sore in some ways that like could cause some problems for him down the road. It revealed a
1: lot. It definitely revealed a lot about him. Now that I'll start with the highlight and the good things, because I always want to hit those first. That play that we're talking about was a defensive play. I believe it was in the later parts of the first half, um, Mismatch post opportunity. Assor is guarding the wing just above that post. So he starts to dig down, see if he can poke that ball away. Doesn't necessarily get there. And the kickout pass to his man happens just as he's maybe five or six inches above the post. He recovers on that kickout and absolutely stuffs the shot attempt right there. Just amazing ground coverage. That he was able to show. It's functional athleticism like you mentioned. When you combine that with a motor, these are guys that can be really, really high-level defenders. Now, on the defensive end, I thought Asor had a couple moments off-ball where he got really manipulated in different ways mm. here. Where some of the, the experience, some of the moxie of that mega group really got to him. Whether it was trying to go under some ball screens and he would get pinned. He got split by Juricic in one key action. And in those moments, he kind of stopped playing and gave up some key offensive rebounds where I would expect to see a little bit more from a motor, from a physicality standpoint where, you know, one opportunity he got buried beneath the rim, which gave up an easy putback opportunity. The other, he just stood there and watched as there was a a putback slam for Mega as a result of the play. So there's always growth for young guys when it comes to help defensive rotations. I don't think anybody should expect a teenager who's, you know, not played pro basketball yet to be pristine with all of their rotations, but I think the lack of shooting from a guy like Asore just means that there's a smaller margin of error, a margin for error in those all those other categories. That he's got to be a consistently impactful help defender. He's got to be great on ball. He has to be an efficient finisher. He's got to find ways to to impact on the offensive glass, and, and we see glimpses of all of those things but I I am a little worried about the shot right now.
0: And the reason that I'm a little bit worried about the shot right now is because he is not as live of an athlete as Amin is. He's as explosive as Amin is, but he's not as twitchy and he doesn't like he had five assists in this game. His passing, isn't really live dribble passing a lot of the time. It's like, come to a jump stop, make a high level read, which is valuable. And he processes things quickly. Like he passes on the move really quickly, keeps it going uh, whenever he's, you know, getting the ball and just like, you know, having to kick out real quick or just having to keep it along the perimeter uh, and hit that just next read in the string. Right. So I think that I've got some concerns about scalability in the same way you do, just in terms of like he's gonna have to like really be a polished, high-level ball handler in a way that he's not right now. Um, or he's gonna have to shoot. And that's the next part of this conversation that I wanted to bring up here. I, I know that Amen hit eight out of eight from the line. Uh Asor, I think didn't shoot like incredibly poorly from the line. I thought he was like maybe I think he missed three and he probably got to the line eight times. Um, these guys both got to the line a ton in this game. Like their athleticism was just on a different level uh, than mega and mega had some, you know, we're just going to foul and make them make free throws uh, kind of stuff going on. But the the problem I have, and this is something you've written about recently with free throw shooting translating to real shooting and Free throw shooting, I think, can show some touch. I think that what you see happen with the Thompson Twins, right now at least, and I I think that, look, I've talked to them on this podcast before, on this YouTube channel. You can watch me break down tape with them. They're incredibly smart kids. They are super articulate. They're incredibly uh, high-level processors of basketball. They're great workers. You talk to anyone around OTE, they put in a ton of work. Like, There's a real chance that they're going to be able to get they're going to get the most out of whatever their shooting ability is is what i would say um their shooting ability right now in the run of play is basically zero i think because when it's in the run of play their mechanical issues come to the forefront in terms of like they're just being more action going on like when Amin is at the foul line it's calm it's steady he's able to just go up And he's able to put it in when he is in the run of play. You see a lot of the rhythm stuff. You see a lot of the weight transfer stuff come up. You see a lot of like the footwork stuff come up just in terms of like getting set underneath him with a base. Uh, And it's the same with a sore. Like I actually think a sore is a little bit more together mechanically in terms of like getting his base under him, but he's also more robotic in terms of like the shot and the way it looks whenever he brings it up and starts the motion. So, I, I have some real concerns with the shot, is what I would say. Um, even though I don't think they have like incredibly poor touch, I just think that, like, in the run of play, a lot of things it seems like tend to break down right now for them when they go to shoot from behind the three point line.
1: It's a confidence thing too, Sam. Like, they, you know, as good of passers as both of them are, they set each other up for open looks time and time again. And especially knowing the defenses are going to sag off of them, but they're not taking them. There were uh, plenty of times in this game where Amen made a, a really impactful drive, kicked it out to a sore who's standing on the wing or in the corner. He has a wide open catch and shoot and he doesn't take it. Instead he settles, hesitates, takes one jab and then shoots it or dribbles three times in place before firing up. And his mechanics aren't good enough for pull-up jumpers with his footwork or his base yet either. Uh, I think that it's going to take a while for either of them to, to fix those things. I, I will say this as it comes to trying to differentiate between how much shooting matters to each of them. You know, you'd know, you mentioned that oh Amen is a little bit more twitchy, a little bit more change of pace, just blistering pace with his first step. He's going to be the guy that plays with the ball in his hands more at the NBA level. Because of that, I don't think off-ball shooting is as important as it is for a guy like Asore to really develop. Yeah. Not to say that Asore isn't a good passer, isn't somebody who is going to play somewhat with the ball in his hands, but he's not yeah. as impactful there. Uh, I, I think that Asor's passing ability is really good from a proactive standpoint but he's not quite as good at hanging in the air, keeping plays alive, and just making things happen improvisationally. He he yep. reads plays as they break down. He makes those proactive reads. But as soon as he commits to driving and trying to finish at the basket, he's going up with that thing. He doesn't have the ability to you know continue searching and scanning for the, the right uh, exit valve if he really can't get to that finish. So for him, shooting becomes a little bit more important, even though he is – a little bit more advanced in, in comparison with his brother from a cutting from a moving without the ball standpoint. Yeah. I think that's what stood out to me. Some positives that I took away from a were some smart backdoor cuts. He had uh, two dunks. One of them was a, a really good 45 cut from the wing. The other uh, yeah, yeah. eye contact play that he had with, with Amen who handled the ball was really calling for this. They cleared out one side of the floor and he just backdoored from the corner into a lob. He's going to be able to play a little bit off ball in those ways, but it's valuable for two, maybe three possessions a game. He needs the jump shot a lot more than a guy like Amen does.
0: And look, right now I would have Asor as a lottery guy. Like I would have him ahead of Jurisic because he's just, they're that good athletically. Yes. And they're that good defensively. And they're, um, I, I really, really like them, but they need to shoot like they need to show some real shooting improvement this off season, like the, in this coming season, that is the number one thing for them. Just point blank. They have to showcase shooting improvement. We saw a lot of the reasons why in my preseason mock, I think a lot of the, a lot of people talk about them as like the clear three, four guys in this class. I don't like, I, I have them more like in that next level down until we see the shooting. Cause I think that the floor for them is a little bit lower than what gets discussed yeah. until the shooting comes. If the shooting comes, the ceiling is through the roof. If the shooting never comes, the floor is like Isaac Coro-y uh, in a real way. And Isaac Coro is like an effective NBA player. He, as we've talked about previously, like he's getting better. He's a good defender. He's long. He's he's not that long, but like he's physical. He's strong. He does it in a different way than like from what a sore would do. But the shooting gives him real like downside outcomes here. I still, like I said, like this early in the season, this is like early picking nits on some level, but it's also kind of not until we see them like really shoot at a somewhat effective level. Th- that's it. A sword like needs to work on the shot. That is point blank. If I was him, That's what I would be spending all of my time doing, repping through the jump shot, finding your mechanics, finding some fluidity through the mechanics and being able to knock down shots.
1: And the nice part about going on this European tour, being able to showcase the athleticism and how it can overwhelm other guys that scouts will have an idea on is that now it just becomes about the jump shot. We know what type of athlete and impactful defender he can be. We'll continue to see the natural playmaking and passing field, because that's something that is always going to pop on a floor for the role that these two guys are, are being able to fulfill with team overtime. We need to see the shot. And yeah, that's the next nine months, that's what it's all about, a little bit for both of them, but particularly for Asore.
0: Yeah, agree. Okay. Let's go to some quick mailbag questions. No time from World B Frieza. Which of either Boyan plus Mike Conley or Buddy Healed plus Miles Turner would be more impactful for the Los Angeles Lakers in your opinion? That's a tough one for
1: me uh, because I keep saying that shooting is most important, and I think Buddy Healed fits a really important role for the Lakers there. But there's something that scares me about. Playoff time, trotting out LeBron at the three, if you have Miles Turner and Anthony Davis in the front court. Uh, I just, I don't know if the juice is is quite there laterally in ways that it used to be. I think playing him and AD at the four and five would be wise for the Lakers to explore, but I'm going to go with Indiana in, in that package, just kind of age wise. I think I'd rather have a couple younger bodies out there.
0: I agree. Um if the sole purpose of the value is getting off of Russ. Yeah, sure. I I would consider doing one of these deals in the preseason and moving one of those first round picks and like maybe a second or something like that out into the future. I don't think either of these packages is ideal though. And here's a big reason why three of these four players really are like not great defenders. Like, I, I'm, as much as I love Mike Conley, I'm not sure Mike Conley can defend in the playoffs anymore based off of what we saw last year for Utah, because it wasn't just Donovan that got beat pretty badly in the playoffs and forced Rudy into a number of impossible decisions. Uh, it, it was Mike as well. And Boyan has similar footwork issues. In terms, now Boyan is bigger, he's stronger. I think it's a little bit easier to find matchups that work for him, but he is still someone that as he gets older, you can still target a little bit defensively. Uh, Buddy Healed is a guy you can target defensively. Um Miles Turner, you know, is someone that they'll try to target in space defensively, but like when you have Anthony Davis behind him, I, I think Miles Turner is the guy that I would target most out of this entire group of players but I would probably be a little bit, the more I think about it, I would probably be a little bit more patient if I was the Lakers. And I don't know that I would take either of these two packages. If I had to pick one, I agree with you that I think it would be Indiana's though.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the level of panic would be. I don't know what it's gotta be really hard to move a 40 something million dollar contract mid So, you know, if, if that's a a challenge for the Lakers and they feel like it's the best opportunity to move now, I get it. But if they're going to add Miles Turner and Buddy Heal to the mix, I still worry that they're just a little thin on people who can defend guards. Pat Beverly is kind of the only guy left. Uh,
0: From BCB 75 thoughts on Brandon Miller think he has a real chance to rise into the lottery conversation once the season gets underway, if he can keep up physically. Uh, Brandon Miller is one of the guys that like based off of his European trip, uh, I think I was just like very wrong on, I-, I think I was just very wrong on what my impression was of him coming out of high school. Cause like, I didn't love the three point shot. I thought he's more of like a mid range guy, like mid post, you know, playmaker. And I thought he like, wasn't all that impactful defensively. Uh, I thought that like the effort wasn't always there. I talked to some people that were at McDonald's. They said he was really good defensively at McDonald's. And then you watch the Alabama stuff in the preseason. Yes, has a real chance to go in the lottery. Um, I absolutely will have him in the top 20 in the preseason based off of what I've seen. As will I,
1: and he's a big, you know, six eight, maybe even six nine, tough shot maker. And those guys yeah. have such an easy opportunity to rise far up boards because if they do that consistently, they're just they're damn hard to guard, and there's value for them in any type of NBA ecosystem. So uh, maybe a little bit of a I don't want to say boom or bust there, but to me, he's either a top fifteen guy or he's like barely sneaking into the first round because there's just if he earns that lottery, look out guys like he can really score it.
0: Uh, question from Scott field of dreams. 81. How much will Keegan Murray's season affect Chris Murray's draft stock? Not at
1: all for me. Uh, they're twins, but they're separate people and players with separate games.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, won't affect it at all um i'll be honest with you the name i've heard most out of iowa is peyton sanford recently uh i've heard really good things about him uh in some of their early season stuff that people have seen um you know obviously we're so early in the process still september right we're two months away from the season but i've heard really good things about him and uh Chris Murray, I've heard good things about too. Like, I, I think I was going to be really good this year, but I don't think Chris has quite the same ability on the ball that Keegan had. Uh, like, Keegan was a guy that could, like, seal you off on the block and, like, create just so many opportunities that way. Chris doesn't really do that. Um, maybe he, maybe that changes. Maybe he adds that to his game this offseason. But, like, Keegan showed some of that in his freshman season as well uh, in a way that we haven't really seen from Chris yet. So, uh, the answer here is no, but I do think that Chris is a really high level player and the guy I would watch for is Peyton Sanford uh, out of Iowa. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I like Chris a little bit more in that stereotypical three and D type of role, or, or maybe he's a little bit closer to that than a guy like Keegan. You know, if he has a larger offensive role at Iowa, I think that can only impress and help him in ways, but it's not going to bear out too much on changing what his NBA trajectory might be.
0: <laughs> this is an amazing question and this will be the last one before we uh, move on and start part two of the episode for Matt Moderno. If you and I were going to play two on two against each other spins, which 2023 prospect would you want as your teammate and why? Uh,
1: if I get first pick, I'm taking Victor just because he can cover up every single mistake that I inevitably make when I get switched okay. on to guarding, whoever it is that you pick as your
0: teammate. Okay, so you're you're picking Vic. Okay. Um <sighs> Amon would be up there. Amon Thompson would definitely be up there. I I think I might take Amon Thompson because I would want oh no, but Amon struggles to shoot it. Right. I might take Cam Whitmore. Uh I like Cam's competitiveness. Uh. I think that like having a wing Uh, would be a little bit valuable because at the end of the day, like you and I are guarding each other and the two prospects are guarding each other in two on two. Right. Uh, I think that I would want cam to contest. I would want someone who's like a wing size and I would want someone who can like get Vic on like step backs potentially, as well as like maybe drive by him in space, getting to the basket. I think I would go cam Whitmore. Yeah, I have
1: nightmares of coaching against Cam Whitmore last year. So I think the advantage <laughs> I can't Mike believe you eat- didn't take Cam. <laughs> I didn't I mean uh, 8 foot wingspan, Sam. I eight I am 5'11" 6 feet with like a 5'6" five, 5'7" five, wingspan. Like I need every inch <laughs> that I can get out there. Like give me Victor, let him put, like, make up for every defensive mistake that I inevitably make and just tell me to go stand in the corner and drill shots. I'm cool.
0: The the problem is that like the the real mismatch here might be spins against me, no. not Whitmore against Vic, because I have not picked up a basketball since the start of the pandemic. <laughs> I can't so.
1: move though, Sam. I, I can't move at all. Yeah, that could be a problem.
0: Uh okay. Let's uh let's end part one of this episode here. Hour ten minutes. Uh, we're gonna move on to part two, but that will come on Monday night going into Tuesday morning for you guys. This will be out Sunday night going into Monday. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.